Welcome to Growing Home, the podcast that helps you take care of the place that means the most to you, your home. I'm your host, Terry Therian, alongside your co-host, Len Giddix. All right, Len, well, we're back in the studio here. Happy spring. Oh, happy spring, yes. And you've done some nice things to the studio. You've really... Uh... We've, been, we've been cleaning it up, organizing a little bit. You know, I guess you can call it spring cleaning. <laughs> you could. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about roses. And they're just arriving into the garden center. They're mm-hmm. all butted up. Yep. You know, and there's so many different varieties. You know, why do you think they're so popular or what makes them so popular well, it, it's a, a rose is identified by most everything. I mean, Mother's Day, uh, a, a rose given to mom or grandmom is almost traditional in the United States. Uh, it's our national flower. Um, you know, even going back to ink, the English love their roses. They even the kings uh, of of England had the, the remember the War of the Roses. Remember hear that, hearing that in the high school uh, history? Sure, sure. Okay, well. One was a white rose and one was a red rose. It was the War of the Roses. It was so emblematic of that it represented a group of people. Of course, you have the Rose Bowl Parade every January, right? Yeah, uh, usually on New Year's Day. Oh, is that New Yes, New yeah. Year's Day. Unless it's a Sunday, then they play on Monday. Really? Yeah, Didn't I read, I read that. that. Yeah. yeah, little fun fact there. I've actually been to the Rose Parade. Ooh, special. Yeah, in 2001. Wow. Yeah, it was probably true. hasn't changed much since then. It probably not. Probably not. But it is incredible. You know, all the all the floats coming in and yeah. just covered in roses. It was painted, if you will. I think in, every in every roses. square inch has to have some sort of uh, vegetation on it. Yeah, it, it was really amazing. And then um, you know, then the fanfare comes and they had people you know parachute down onto the floats. Like oh, right in front of you. Really? It's, it's like incredible. And the football game's awesome too. And and that's uh, the Rose Bowl. For, that's the Rose Bowl. That's the Rose Bowl. But there's an Orange Bowl and a Cotton Bowl and a Taco Tostitos Bell. Tostitos Bowl. bowl. And, yeah. <laughs> probably some other bowls. And, right. But they're uh, probably not as important as the Rose Bowl. No. Well, the history behind it is there was always a uh, the Tournament of Roses uh-huh. started in eight, the 1890s. And it was chariot races, jousting, foot races, tug of war. Uh, really manly uh, sports here. Right, right. So then the progression into football in the early 1900s, no-brainer. <laughs> but, you know, the rose always, uh, you know, I, what was it Shakespeare that said a rose by any other name never spells the same? That could have been. It could have been. I'm not quite sure. Me I, neither. I'm yeah. not up on my... Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds Shakespearean. Sure. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it, it is. Uh, but it's always been... Uh, emblematic it represents a positive outcome okay you know you do something good you're smelling like a rose you know you could smell like a lilac that's pretty too but no you smell like a rose right 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 yeah everything's coming up roses Uh, that was that's a little bit dated but uh, ethel merman sang that song yeah most of my experience with roses is every valentine's day Chelsea, chelsea gets some roses of course yeah why roses and you know the uh, different colors of rose mean different things, as well as the the whole uh, language of the flowers that the English came up with back in the Elizabeth, uh, the uh, Victorian days. But roses were very very special. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, they, all the different colors yeah. and what they symbolize and friendship. And A. Love and Pearson and, and Cromwell grew roses in greenhouses. That was their livelihood. They were so popular, and and, and also, you know, the rose 
represented life's vicious dichotomy. Okay, on one hand, you had beauty, fragrance, and on the other side, you had the thorns. The hurt with the beauty. You can't have one in life without experiencing the other. The sunshine and the rain. That's right. You just don't appreciate one without the other. Yeah. So that's why roses are so, uh, I think, so important to throughout history. I mean, it started with the Romans. Romans, they had you know small roses. They didn't cultivate them necessarily, but uh, they were recognized back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, some of them were just incredibly. Whether it's a bush type rose with the number of flowers on it, yeah. or just a single rose itself and the number of petals and some of the newer ones. That's right. It keeps the uh, it keeps. Uh, well, I should probably shouldn't say this, but it keeps the wives happy. Yeah. Hey, that's that's important. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> but even you know, it's really cool. Um, you know, when you take something out of the garden like a rose and you put it in a vase on your counter, and your friends come over, and you know, they all, I mean, looking at any sort of flower, you know, I, I'm always walking through the garden center in the spring. It just blows my mind every time. It's like, you know, here we are, we're working, we're, you know, whether it's an advertisement or something, we're always trying to make stuff perfect. You know, we're cleaning the house and then here mother nature just does her work and this perfect looking flower comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you have them on your counter, your friends come over, they're also in awe and you can say, you know, I grew that. That came out of my garden. Right. And that sense of pride, you can't replace that. No, you can't. And you'll notice that the one single rose probably draws more attention uh, than a whole bouquet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, well, more is less. Less is more. Right? Less is more. Less is more. Oh, man. If I could get away with one rose on Valentine's Day. You can't <laughs> unless you start off with a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we talk about the history of roses or the modern history of roses? Yeah, the, the modern history is, you know, I mean, you could go on for a thousand years, but uh, let's go back to the 70s in the last century. Okay. Okay. And the garden centers were just becoming, you know, a thing. And, uh, you know, the plastic containers that we see now are called cans in the nursery because back in the 70s, they actually were metal cans, not plastic containers. And uh, so roses were presented uh, at these garden centers as cans, in cans, in in containers grown out. And uh, we had basically the same types of roses. We had the tea roses, the multiflora roses, and we'll talk about the different types and what they mean in a little bit, climbing roses. And the what was more rudimentary back then was the shrub rose. The shrub rose has really come into its own over the last 50, well, over the last 20 years, certainly, but over the last 30 years, mm-hmm. definitely. Yep. Um, the old-fashioned tea rose uh, and some of the climbing roses are, are were always grafted roses. In other words... Um, the the producers of roses would pick a very strong wood rootstock, yeah, and actually graft it, uh, phys- physically graft the top onto it, and the top wow. would have be different colors and whatever, and the bottom, the rose on the bottom, what it came from was usually a red rose called Dr. Huey, and like most of the most of the roses, rootstock was Dr. Huey. Wow, so. And up here in, in, in New England, yep. um, 
you know, the root is the most protected during the winter. So the top part might die off, but the rose would come up, but it would come up a different color. And it was like a miracle that you planted a yellow rose last year. But this year you got a red, red rose. rose. Yeah. And, you know, it was always a mystery as to why that happened. But that's why it happened. Because gotcha. Dr. Yui was red. Gotcha. Yeah. So is that is that still common today in, in a lot of the roses? With, with some of the old passion roses that are grafted. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, the tea roses. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it can happen. Yeah. So that was our, our way of genetically or a genetic approach to keeping these beautiful ornamental roses that aren't necessarily made for our climate. Right, but now I mean, within the last uh, fifteen years or so, or, or more, there were always been own root roses. That's that's without the grafting at all. Own root roses, and now there are many, many hardy own root roses. Gotcha. And that's the way to go. That's the way. In my my humble opinion, yes, all the tea roses are nice, but they're a real pain. You need to. They're finicky. Yeah. And they're finicky. And there's so many easier roses to grow that are just as beautiful yeah. on their own root. Now, um, the tea rose, which is the standard garden rose, we'll say, uh, the, with the longer stem and that you would cut for your to bring into your house. Gotcha. That's a tea rose. Yeah. And they generally had very large flowers. They have generally large flowers, yeah. double petals, uh, which means... There's just not a single row. There's multiple rows of so when they open up, they they have that. You can see the different layers the layered, yeah, of, of petals, yeah. right? Because uh, like a single petal rose, it, it almost looks like a flat flower. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And uh, like like the uh, beach rose, the that that's a single flower, just one row of petals, and they would be fragrant. And back back in the good old days, and the thorns, of course, were as large and as any cats and they would really grab onto you and when you picked the rose you would almost invariably get poked with a thorn mm-hmm. but the rose is so beautiful and there there's the romance to it all terry you go through the pain and your wife gets all the the beauty as it should be the, the truth yeah the truth and they were generally pain to grow because uh, you really needed to feed them and then when you feed them uh, the tissue is succulent and the aphids come in and oh, it's just a mess so uh they need constant pruning okay you have to prune them regularly maybe once or twice a year these are just tea roses in general the tea roses i'm talking about tea roses right gotcha now. gotcha and of course often uh, dr huey would come through and uh make make a make a miracle happen so because of this, because they were paid. And by the way, let me just mention that Elizabeth Park in West Hartford yes. is the oldest municipal rose garden in the United States. And they have many of those old roses. They always put in new roses, but they have beds and beds and beds of old traditional roses. And they go through a lot of pain and agony just to make them available to the public. You should really take advantage of it in uh, in June or yeah, early June, I would say. Memorial mm-hmm. Day, late May, yeah. when the roses are blooming. It's yeah. just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and th- I mean, that probably takes a lot of work to oh. you know, maintain the health of all those roses and all the different varieties. They've and- been growing here for over 100 years, so yes. And I'm sure the soil is filled with all kinds of fungi. <laughs> Love roses, too. Right, right. And for them to manage that and to yeah. continually have 
you know, the reputation that they do. It's pretty impressive. Right here in Connecticut, the longest going municipal rose garden. Rose garden. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Very cool. And so, well, the commercial breeders said, "Hey, you know what? Let's have a, this is this is ridiculous. Why don't we try to breed in some disease resistance, and then we won't have to worry about it?" Well, unfortunately, the genes are set set up the way they are that in order to get disease resistance, scent tends to go away. So, for as we gained more and more roses with disease resistance, we got less and less with a rose scent. Okay. Mm. And then someone said, well, you know, these thorns are really getting in the way. Why don't we breed for a thornless rose? And so they did. So now you had a thornless, fragrantless rose that looked like a rose but never smelled as sweet. Nor was there that dichotomy that Shakespeare wrote about, that, that, that poets wrote about for years. Right, because you know, without, without the thorns is the... Is the rose is beautiful? Yeah. Was it a rose anymore? That was the big question, right? Without without the struggle, would, would life be as beautiful? <laughs> Terry nailed it right oh. on the head. Man, you are a it philosopher. Is poetry hour on the Growing Home <laughs> podcast. So, uh, uh, the breeders decided. Well, maybe we better. And, and also, the flowers got bigger because that was the only thing left. Yeah. All right. So. Then, uh, especially David Rose, David Rose, the rose, English rose grower in England. The David Austin Rose. The David Austin Roses, yeah. yes. They decided they, they needed to put fragrance back. And they had the disease resistance, now put the fragrance back in along with the disease resistance. And they never really got rid of the thorns. I mean, they were traditionalists. So yeah. but that was the tendency now to go back to fragrance. Very cool. And in the 1990s, own root roses came along. No more Dr. He- well, Dr. Huey was always there, is always there. But own root roses became very, very popular. And as a result, the roses, because of the roses that they chose, became um, much more uh, hardy for New England growers. So if you look on the tag... Look for own root roses. Easy Elegance, the whole series of Easy Elegance uh, yeah. is an own root rose. And now there's a couple of more brands out there, but that was one of the first ones. And so no more miracles. I mean, it was just you, what you planted pretty much. Uh, no more surprise multicolors. Yeah, right, right. Very cool. And then as we entered this century, uh, 2000 or so, uh, late 90s, the modern shrub rose. I and mean, we're going to go, let's go to, this is, this is the sequence of uh, development. The, the, we never, there was never any argument about climbing roses. There was never any argument about multiflora roses. And we'll talk about the differences there. But those never really got bred too much. The standard climbing rose is uh, a white thorn and the, and the like are still very prevalent and those are the ones you'll see out there david austin has its traditional ones too and he's by the way david austin roses have very nice names very english names the the darcy brussel oh yes who's darcy brussel i have no idea no but that deep red or the the munstead wood Mm -hmm. i I love those deep red david austin roses yeah yeah those are two of my favorites so uh Modern shrub roses, uh, I'm talking about knockouts and oh-so-easies. The first one was carpet rose. It came in a pink pot. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. Okay, it came in a pink pot, and everybody... This is about the time when everybody, uh, the, the different brands were 
coming out with different colored pots. And I remember the industry saying, I don't want those pink pots. I don't want those blue pots. What's with the green pots? I want the black pot. Well, now it's, yeah, give me the blue pot. Give me, give me the pink pot because it's readily identifiable as yeah. a certain type of product. Right, right. And, and now the black pot is just, oh, that's a standard old rose or standard old type. Of, the old tea roses. Yeah, yeah, you know, nothing special. Yeah. Oh, my. But I think it's cool, though, right? Like, that's, I mean, the genetics and working through that to get the desirable char- characteristics. So that, you know, when you are planting some of the, something and it has that breeding brand behind it, you know, yep. that you grab that David Austin pot, that square, dark green pot. It's a very elegant pot, isn't oh, it? Oh, man. It's, I mean, does that make a gift? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I think that's really cool that, you know, it's an appreciation. It's almost like, you know, now with Netflix learning about what goes on in the kitchen, with you know the chef's table where you now are learning more about the chef and and with these breeds we're learning you know more about these breeders and what they're giving us as far as or accomplishing in their right. breeding programs you know something like the knockout roses with the number of ro- of flowers coming on those bushes and the reblooming right um, i think that's really cool and you only have to look at the pot to identify the product David Austin Rose, you know it's going to be a good rose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you may want to check it out to see what color it is or whatever, but you know it's going to be a quality English rose, and it's going to have fragrance, and it's going to have thorns, and it's going to have everything Shakespeare said it should have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, back back then, uh, the Mediland rose was uh, the, probably the standard landscape rose. and It's probably not even sold anymore because it was kind of rambling uh and it had some problems but it had far less problems than uh the tea roses and and it filled a spot in in the landscape yeah it could climb a little bit on a picket fence or something like that but Mm -hmm. the fairy rose was was on right there too that was very very popular but in in the 1990s it went it has gone away really yeah it's hard to buy the, the fairy rose now um, yeah, I mean, I would kind of, even if we just kind of summarize this to a lot of the, there's the the type of growth you're looking for, whether it's a a shrub rose or the almost long stem like tea roses, mm-hmm. the climbing rose. And then, you know, we've kind of, what you see is like you've got your knockouts, which have their own definitely distinctive flower on them. Your David Austin and then... You know, you can get into your tea roses, and then yeah. within there, you have your the different growing right. types. Well, I, you know, I I really like the Oh So Easy series, which is the short PW proven winner yeah. rose collection. Um, they are they are small for small yards. They can you can put them along the sidewalk, and they're not going to just attack anybody as they walk by. But they uh, the, the last thing that was breeded into them and bred into every proven winter rose, as well as the knockout rose uh-huh. and most shrub roses, is reblooming. You don't have to do anything to get reblooms, and it'll bloom from June to October. Yeah. Now. Is that a big difference from the tea rose, the finicky tea rose that only came out in June and maybe rebloomed sometime later on, but unpredictably? But those are awesome. You know, you just enjoy them in the landscape throughout the summer. Yeah, you don't have to do anything to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, mean, sounds oh so easy. It is oh so easy. <laughs> so you want to talk about different types of roses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So basically, there's what five or six types. Six, let's say six for types. Well, that's how we'll divide them. You have the T rows, whether they be traditionally uh, uh, grafted or their own root. Okay, yep. and those tend to be single roses, large flowers, thorns. Most of them, some thorns, no thorns for others, uh, and uh, fragrant or non-fragrant, depending on the variety. But they were a single stem with a big flower. That and you could prune them to do that. Yeah. The climbing roses, climbing roses are just incredible if you have the space and the wall and the and the, and the trellis to put them on. In North Windham Center, there is a new dawn rose. It has to be a new dawn rose that I recognize. And right in the center of the town across from the uh, I think it was the, it's the old post office. It's right this, there's a junction of five streets. Mm-hmm. There's an old I'm going to say Federalist House that is two stories, and this rose has grown up over the years to the second floor. It is the most, and it takes over that whole side of the house. It is the most remarkable climbing rose I know of. Wow. And if you ever get out to North Windham, right in the center of town, yeah, you need to look for that. And if it's in June, you'll, you'll see it right away. It's incredible. Just a wall of flowers. Pretty much a tree of flowers tree growing of flowers. up the side of the of the house. One dimension. Very cool. Yeah, two dimensions, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the climbing roses, all they, they, they have large flowers generally, and they need some sort of support because they're going to go places. And you have to kind of train them. You don't really prune them, but you, you train them to go where you want them to go. Okay. Okay. Multiflora roses are probably the most popular, uh, most well-known multiflower roses, the the uh, invasive Japanese rose that we uh, will be coming up here in June. You usually smell them. They're very fragrant before you see them. And they're a little flower. I think a light pink, I would say, a light pink flower. But the fragrance is overwhelming. Um, And you really need to enjoy the fragrance because the shrub is just one big monster. It climbs up trees. It climbs over your shrubbery. It is invasive. The birds love the berries uh, or the hips, yep. and they plant them hither and yon, uh, wherever it'll grow. And it doesn't need full full sun where most roses need full sun. This one doesn't. Now, the commercial multi-flower rose, floral rose is more like um, a rambling tea rose, I'm going to say. But the cluster of the flowers is not single like a tea rose. It's a cluster of flowers that can be you know, anywhere from a quarter size to half dollar maybe or even a little bit bigger. But mm-hmm. you'll see them at the end. Of, instead of one flower at the end of a stem, there'll be a handful of flowers. And uh, they tend to need a little structure to them to be, to be held up because that pom-pom of flowers, uh, when it gets wet, it just kind of sags all over the place. So not, not as popular a rose as the rest of them, but still there. Okay. The shrub rose, we talked about the modern shrub rose. Uh, they've gotten smaller, more compact. They've gotten ever-blooming, and they've become fragrant. Um, and they're specifically now marketed for smaller yards. We don't have large yards like we, we used to. Right. Okay? We don't have Elizabeth Parks that we can sprawl out the roses everywhere. Yeah. We don't have rose gardens and a gardener to, get, to tend to them. No, we don't. So most of the roses, I would say, that are sold right now are shrub roses mm-hmm. just because of the way we live. And right. We're enjoying them more up close than from afar. And from afar, they're wonderful too, yes. Yeah. 
But, you know, uh, no one ever thought of putting a rose alongside of a, a, an entranceway. But if you got the sun, <laughs> why not? The Rosa Rogosa, the Rogosa roses, these are the beach roses that Cape Cod has become famous for. They're all, uh, they grow in eh, fairly poor soil. They like full sun. They demand full sun. And they can get out of hand a little bit. But the flower is about two inches across. It's either pink, white. There are some varieties that are purple. Uh-huh. Uh, and they are extremely fragrant. They're like the Japanese multiflower rose. They are not natives. They're brought in from Japan. Uh, beach roses are? Beach roses are. Oh, wow. Yeah. When the Japanese landed on Plymouth Rock, uh, they brought along the beach rose. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but Cape Cod is famous for rose hip jelly. Well, Rosa produced these large, uh, I'm going to say nickel to quarter size hips that are high in vitamin C. And, and the hips are uh, like a post-flower. They are the fruit. Fruit. Yes. Yeah. They're the fruit. So you never want to pick the the that had a, a rugosa rose because you want the hips and they start off green and turn red and then the fall they're wonderful and if you can get enough of them you can make jelly like a real cape cotta there we go yeah and the birds like them right well the birds like them if they're a big enough bird yeah the birds prefer the uh multiflora rose the japanese multiflora rose because they're the size of that's that 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 hip is the size of a pea oh i see if you're a turkey yeah you know, oh okay yeah <laughs> Uh, and then there are native roses. Now, we have native North American roses here. Uh, in, in, one is Rosa virginiana, and one is Rosa palustris. Now, palustris is known as the swamp rose, and virginiana is known as the Virginia rose. Go figure. Uh-huh. You know. but, and they're very much, they're single flowers. Uh, they're, they're natives. They are just as tough as nails. Uh, palustris being named the swamp rose can take a little bit wetter soils roses as a whole like well-drained soils but palustris can take uh, damper soils and they are just uh, of course all all single roses are uh, attract uh, pollinators of all types bees uh, uh, beetles butterflies but back in the day before the english brought over their english rose uh, this was the only thing, only port in a storm, so to speak. And I don't know whether, speaking of being English rose, I don't know whether I uh, explained English rose enough as a more carnation, having many, many petals. Did yeah. I say that? Okay. Yeah. Yep. And that's very distinctive, very distinctive about an English rose. I kind of think like it almost has that same effect of like an opening peony, like just so many exactly. petals bunched up. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that the English wore the roses, those were single roses. Those are a single-petaled white rose and a single-petaled red rose. You study it. Google it. We're going to have to. Well, yeah. either that or I'm lying. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think it's, it's kind of overwhelming of how many different types of roses there are and the different varieties in each. But I think it's good that we can have the confidence that our breeders and what's available today are to the point of where they definitely have the enjoyable aspects where we have the the flowers we like and the colors we like but also we have the fragrance back and mm-hmm. um or some with fragrance and you know the thorns be what they are but these are hardier plants than what we had before the the oh yeah the, so the breeding's I mean, made it a lot easier to enjoy this than oh definitely definitely 
if you own root roses, uh, shrub roses, I don't think climbers have ever been a problem. Uh, and then the native uh, rose. Uh, it's the it was the tea rose that was brought over from Europe that was adopted by us and the rich and famous uh, who could afford gardeners and gardens to to do that to tend to them and to put tend all the to effort them. in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tricky part, and that was almost a status symbol. Yeah, you know, if you had a rose garden, holy cow! Well, I mean, even let's go back to that rose parade, the uh, the Valley Hunt Club yeah. that puts on the rose parade and started it back in the late eighteen hundreds. That is, you know, a pretty prestigious club, and you know they started it with, you know, let's hold a festival to tell the world about our paradise. <laughs> so I think there's a, you know, definitely the status to it. Yeah. But our roses, definitely, we get to enjoy, you know, the the benefits of, you know, a lot of breeding and very talented breeders like the David Austins. Yes. So getting into more of the care of it, you know, what for. Generally speaking, how do we care for a rose, or what should we be, even sort of starting of like where considerations of where we should plant it? Mm-hmm. Well, there's really no secret. I mean, generally speaking, okay, roses need a minimum minimum of six hours of sun. They could take twenty four hours of sun. They you just put them out in the middle of the yard and let them go. They need good drainage as a whole. The only exception might be the uh, rosa palustris. Uh, which can take a little bit more uh, uh, moisture in the soil. Uh, although they do demand a constant moisture. They're, they're a little bit finicky in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not unlike a hydrangea. Right. Okay? they, they got to be moist. They can't be dried out, but they don't want it too wet. Um, so as a result, mulching is almost uh, mandatory to, 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 to survive. For a rose to survive. To maintain the moisture in that soil. Maintain the moisture, and of course, it's going to keep the weeds down. Right. Now, uh, except for the rugosa and the native types, roses are pretty heavy feeders. I mean, they they need... Need the, those extra nutrients. Yeah, they're putting a lot into those flowers, and, you know, they're they're proud, and they need to stay healthy, and they, you know, they want to be admired. They need that coffee. They do, yes. but fortunately, we've got a very good. I mean, there's a lot of rose uh, uh, fertilizers out there, but yep. Rose Tone by Spelma is by far, in my mind, the best. Yeah, it's uh, as close to organic as you're going to get. I think they label it organic. It's time released naturally, so you don't have to worry about putting too much in to kill the plant. No, you don't. Just uh, you can put some. Uh, generally speaking, I don't like to fertilize when when I plant, mm-hmm. but you can definitely before you mulch, uh, top dress the soil with a handful or two of this, and then uh, you know every few months maybe put down some more okay. through June. So if you're going to plant now, you put some on the top, and then in another month you put some down just before it flowers to give it a little. Extra kick. A little kick to get going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and now pruning of roses. Uh, that's the nice thing about modern roses. They made it so easy. The shrub roses, that the re-bloomers. Let's take those for an example. Yeah. You just, you can, what's called deadheading. It's like your, your perennials. You just take your shears, your hand shears, not your electric shears. You shouldn't, you just throw those away, okay? Because you shouldn't use those. You need a sharp a pair of sharp hand shears, you know, uh-huh. like a big scissors. Yeah. And then 
just cut a shape around the top or or uh, as we say a nurse uh, in the business a nursery cut which is boom right across the top and they'll come up they'll come up again and they'll rebloom or you can take off the flowers as they as they come depending on how much time you have yeah okay yeah. Uh, again you don't necessarily or want to uh, prune rugosa roses because unless at the end of the year because the rosa rugosas and the native roses can get fairly big they mm-hmm. can outgrow the space that you intended them to be so you can cut them in half uh, in the fall gotcha and then uh in after winter uh they're, they're tough enough to do that uh regular roses tea roses and uh climbers you just want to train multiflora roses multiflora roses are going to grow like the dickens anyway uh generally speaking cut the rose uh, down a little bit in the fall yep and then now uh, in early spring, when you can see the buds, is when you want to take them down to oh, about a foot, if you really okay. Uh, and and when you do prune them, when you take each individual cane down, you want to make sure that the last bud on that cane faces outward. The reason being is if it faces inward, and enough of them faces uh, face inward, the canes from those buds are going to grow into the plant and by the cane we're, we're talking about more of the solid stems coming out of the base of the, the stems whether yep. they be yeah the canes are definitely are the thicker ones uh, the old ones but uh they mm-hmm. the, the smaller ones will become those thicker ones yep. so if they grow inward it's going to be form a very dense bush and that's what you don't want because you're going to get black spot and, and you want good air through air flow through the rose oh i see yeah um so that's kind of important with roses. Yeah, yeah. So, and then doing that, I mean, I always picture, you know, you're looking at the rose, looking at where those new leaves are coming off of, and you just imagine that wherever, whatever side that leaf is on, that's going to form out its own branch, and you want the, and it's going to form from the top of the, the cane or the stem, wherever you cut it. So that last one you leave there, mm-hmm. you want pointing outwards. Right. Got it. My roses right now are about uh, a foot and a half tall. Okay. And they will grow to be three to four foot, three feet tall. Within the same year? This year, yes. Wow. So you can count on about a foot and a half, at least two feet of growth on uh, an English rose or a tea rose, and far less than that on a, on a shrub rose. Okay. Depending on the variety. The modern shrub rose is oh so easy in the, in the uh, knockouts. No, just inches, really, inches to a foot. Mm-hmm. Now, with fertilization, you know the the old adage: when you plant when you plant a rose, you plant it like just about anything else. I think in a previous podcast we talked about what to do with planting shrubs. Yes. Well, same thing. Hey, rose is a shrub. Okay, you you take okay the roses in a pot, and you dig a hole that's twice as wide. Yeah, and. Uh, Put the rose in up to where it was planted in the pot, mm-hmm. and then take in the soil. You may want to mix in some compost. That's very nice because yep. that that interface between the pot soil and your soil uh, is quite different in most in most cases. So you want that interface of mixed compost and soil to be flaky and soft for the most part, just so those roots will grow out from from the can yeah we like to use that especially we look for composts that have that has some peat in it too to help with that con that structure if you have a mm-hmm. 
clay soil or, yeah. or um, a sandy soil and yeah. loosen up a clay soil just to allow that water yeah. and drainage to happen. Because it needs to be moist, but it can't be sitting right. in water, right? Now, it can be. Roses need to have their, uh, like a little bit of uh, uh, alkaline soil. You need, they, they don't like to be too acid and peat moss. Too much peat moss can to make it acidic. Okay. So a little garden lime or something? Uh, no, I would use vermiculite if you have it, or sand. Okay. Uh, that's the cheap way out. It's very heavy, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll also give you lots of drainage. Uh, vermiculite is good. Or, uh, yeah. Uh, the old adage was when you planted a rose, the first thing you threw in the hole was, do you, did I tell you this? Do you remember what they were? No, I don't. You don't? Okay, you're going to remember it from that. I, I think, yeah. I can, I, I'm guessing one, but... A dead okay. fish. Yeah. Okay, that's for the nutrition. Dead fish has everything you need in it. Some wallboard because of the calcium sulfate in the wallboard, okay? And a handful of rusty nails because of the iron. And that was the standard regime. And you could do that today just, just to keep the tradition up. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, you can tell your grandchildren. <laughs> sounds, yeah. sounds a little on the pollutant side, but what uh, dead fish <laughs> wallboard? <laughs> you whippersnappers! Well, you know, it's going back to if it wasn't made in China, you're probably okay. You're probably all right. <laughs> but uh, you could do the same with with uh, Espoma. Will do it all for you. The rose tone is 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 balanced, so you don't yeah. have to worry. And, about and the great part is that slow release. Yes. Yeah. So it'll feed for a long time and also won't won't be too much for the plant all at yeah. once. Yeah. Cool. So so what about you know, we always hear about the pests and diseases with roses. Right. So how how do we manage that? Um and kind of what's your what's your approach of how we should think about it or what to look for? Uh well, uh if you buy an old fashioned uh T rose, you deserve every disease and per critter you get. Okay. Okay. So I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna go there because it's just overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Okay? Yeah. That's a. That's why the Elizabeth Park people are the pros. Right. So and the, and the reason why you don't use commercial. I mean the conventional uh, 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 rose food. Um, yeah. Is because uh, if you make that rose tissue in any plant, if you make the tissue too soft and juicy, it's like. Do you want a tough old steak or do you want a filet mignon that's so nice and juicy? You want the filet mignon and that attracts, that really attracts the aphids especially. Yeah. And the last thing, the most horrendous, ugliest thing is a rosebud that is filled with aphids on it, even before it opens. They're sucking the juices right out of that and it's so succulent that they're just going to thank. The, 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 the aphids will, will, will thank you. So stay away from that. Uh, rose slugs, I, I'm just going to go with what I have in my problems that I've had, the very common problems. Yep. Okay. Rose slugs, uh, and these, these will put holes, they're called rose slugs, but they're not related to the slugs. They're related to the oriental, uh, beetles. You remember we used to have a lot of problem with Japanese beetles. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we got a Japanese beetle that was kind of mottled and a little bit small. Well, that's mm-hmm. because we went to using a lot of mulches, and they, they, that's their habitat. They like the mulches, so of course you're going to mulch every rose, right? So you tend to get holes from these rose slugs, which are about a quarter of an inch, and they look like a slug, but they're actually the larvae of of the rose chafer. That's called the rose chafer, 
and um, well, you can easily get there's, and then the other is black spot, which is a yellowing of the leaf, and then you see a black, an irregular black blotch on the leaves, and most of the time you'll see them on the inner part of the plant because. Not enough air movement, right? Airflow. Yeah, too much and humidity fungi in the love moist areas, okay? Even though the roses in the sun. Well, there are two products out there that I use all the time. And, I, you know, the arsenal, thank God, uh, the arsenal of, uh, of, insect, of pesticides uh, that are... Uh, poisonous, quite frankly, very poisonous to us, is going away. And that was some of the stuff, lead lead arsenic and stuff like that, was really, uh, around the turn of the century, 1900s to the 1940s, was standard operating procedure. Yeah. And it was really, really scary. Yeah. But now we have, uh, both of these products are available from Bonide, and then the, the neem oil can be purchased uh, other than Bonide's brand, but Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew—that's a Bonide product. Yeah, and anything that eats a leaf, like a ch- like a chafer, uh, will eat it and uh, be gone. Actually, it, it, it paralyzes them, and you'll see them on the leaf, and you'll say, "Ah, oh, this stuff doesn't work," and touch them, and it'll fall right off. Yeah, and then adjust the bacteria. That's in the dead bug brew. Actually, it's the bacteria's uh, byproducts. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The story behind the that, uh, Captain Jack's is that this entomologist went down to Puerto Rico and visited a rum factory. And, of course, they make rum out of sugar cane. So the sugar cane, after they squeeze it out, they take the pulp and they pile it into big piles out and back. And, he, you know, this is sugar. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had raw sugar cane. It's very sweet. It's it's just great to chew on, you know. Okay. But uh, there should have been a lot of flies and insects and whatever, and there wasn't. Yeah. And he wondered why. So he took a sample of it, and he found out that there was a bacteria that grew in there. The byproduct was paralyzed insects, and voila, Captain Jack's dead bug grew, or Spinner's head is the actual name of the of the product. Spinner's head. Uh, became real and it's wonderful so we have a natural insecticide oh yes it is that we you know yes, safe to use around our vegetables and roses oh yeah and... oh yeah you can you know spray it under your arms if you want oh boy keep the bugs away <laughs> anyway and then neem oil neem oil comes from a tree that grows in the tropics india uh, in particular yeah and uh that's good both an insecticide and a fungicide so that works on the black spot very well it also works on mildew, pottery mildew. It's the only thing I know of that will actually kill pottery mildew on other plants. And then roses get pottery mildew, yeah. too, if they get too wet. Yeah. And they're they're both contact-type uh, insecticides. Oh, yeah, and you got it. Yeah. And, so. and, and with, with the dead bug brew, they, it's better if they eat the leaf. They actually do some munching on yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, I think with that... Um, Although you want something that's maintenance free, you know, just a uh, frequent checking, you know. Oh, definitely. We still go out, go out with the wine or the coffee. Uh, and, with the wine and the coffee. Yeah. After you check your potatoes from that's right. that you've been growing, that uh, you go over, look at your roses and your more delicate plants and shrubs and, and see what's going on. You know, look for these, you know, the insects or 
the the fungus and then you you'd apply after that and then continuously apply until you see the issue go away yeah or between rainstorms definitely with these two products. yeah yeah because uh you know recently we had the um new legislation in connecticut maryland and new york that got rid of most of the products that were used for their most mostly systemic controls for disease and fungus in um four roses um, and those were neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids, right. Okay, neonicotinoids. That's what we call neonics. Yeah. And yeah. basically what that name means, which is probably a sentence is easier to pronounce the word, uh, or neonics. Uh, it's a new nicotine-like insecticide. Right. And, uh, and that's what it was designed to do. So basically we're just, I guess we we're just giving these bugs a bunch of cigarettes all at once and well, nicotine's been around for a long time, but yeah. it was very caustic too. Yeah. You know, so and, and it was a little bit dangerous. You know, if you if you, if you smoke one cigarette, you're going to die in fifty years. If you smoke a pack of cigarettes, you might not make it through the whole pack yeah. all at once. <laughs> you know? So, but now these, you know, Captain Jack's Dead, Dead Bug Brew and Neem Oil are safer for both us and our plants. And actually, okay. then the Neo Nicks, the big concern was how they impacted the bees and it wasn't that they were killing the bees but impacting right. their ability to navigate forage and right. there were issues with them finding you know same plants again finding their way back to the hive and just a note here terry that even though captain jacks and neem oil are safe for us they are still pesticides they're still insecticides and you should never 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 spray the flowers of a plant or preferably when the plant is in flower uh, be just for that reason that the, the the pollinators are after those flowers that's what they do naturally not so much double the double in english roses but the single ones definitely and uh, you don't want to uh, send them off to the happy honey farm any sooner than they need to be right Right. And spray at night if you can, when the bees aren't active. No. Uh, spray in the morning. Spray in the morning. Spray in the morning because at night, you want the spray to dry off. Oh, okay. And it won't do it at night. It'll be dewy. So gotcha. it's going to stay there in the, uh, I would say, in the morning. Early morning. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I think that's a good overview uh, to get us going. One, you know, the history of the roses. And then two, understanding a little bit more of what we're looking at in the garden center. and. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think it's, you know, we have to find a full full sunspot, you know, at least six hours yeah. and uh, pick out which flower we like and know, hey, if, if, if we're into, you know, the Mr. Lincolns, you know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, ready for the work ahead. And God bless you. If not, we've got the knockouts and the other roses. Exactly. We're so lucky, us. really, this being born when living when we are, as far as roses are concerned. So, awesome. you know, I don't know about you, Terry, but um, we've done a lot of podcasts, but never has one pod- podcast smelled as sweet as this Rose podcast. This is our best smelling yet. <laughs> best smelling yet. <laughs> well, hopefully the others didn't stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. But awesome. Well, thanks again, Len. And if anybody has any suggestions or other topics they'd like us to go into and research some more let our curiosities wander. You know, feel free to email us. It's podcast at com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at M-A-C-K-E-Y-S-I-N-C dot com. And uh, until next time. We'll see you all.
Thank you all for listening. For notes from this episode, visit the podcast section of our website at mackeysgrows.com. Also, we'd love to hear your topic ideas or questions, so drop us a line through our website's contact page. If you found the information in this podcast useful or simply just enjoyed our chat, we truly appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on your preferred listening app. It helps share our show with others and lets us know to keep working hard. Thanks again, and remember, where that is and what you love, that's home. Mackey's, where the home grows.